This podcast is brought to you by DrunkMummySoberMummy.com and made in association with HelloSundayMorning.org, changing the world's relationship with alcohol, one Sunday at a time. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Liars. Liars produce simply the finest alcohol-free spirits the world has ever seen. Listen out later on the show for your Sober October discount code. Oh, the kettle's boiled. Great. Perfect timing. Should we get started then? I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Lucy Good. And this is Sober Awkward. Right, Lucy, over to you. Thanks, Vic. So whatever stage you're at on your sober journey, and Vic and I are at completely different stages, you'll know that life without booze can at times feel, what do you reckon? Awkward. Lucy and I invite you to listen to our podcast where we discuss the realities of sobriety, the good, the bad, the ugly and the cringingly embarrassing. Our honest and open chats will help you discover what it really means to be sober. Yes, we're here like a dodgy bottle of port from your nan's drink cabinet to take the edge off sobriety and together we can learn how to feel the awkward and do it anyway. You're looking rather ravishing today, Lucy. Why, thank you so much, Victoria. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Had a day off work today. Which oh, was, nice. Yeah, it was really nice and I uh, managed to even have a shower. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I thought you were smelling pretty fresh. <laughs> yeah, you, you're you looking a little bit uh, bit tired, a bit, bit scraggly. You're right, darling. Yeah, I know. I'm looking a bit rough around the edges. I've just got back from being at a bloody theme park. Oh, God, in this heat, how awful. I know, crying kids, burgers, Roller coasters. Oh, sounds like hell on Arguments. Earth. Yeah. Oh, God. No wonder you look like you've been Pair, That's parenthood back. summed up in in a 12-hour session. <laughs> the various stages. Oh, no. You, you are good. I remember the theme park days. Yeah. Glad they're over. Glad they're over, yeah. You know, when you go on those uh, roller coasters and things, you come off really sick and you yeah, think, I used exactly to be able to do this. I'm going to post a photo on my Instagram page later of me on this spinning round thing where I just went round for ages and ages. But it was actually better than being with the children. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to get away from but, yeah, them. Yeah, even risk of death was better <laughs> at some point today. Yeah, so we're excited. We've got our second guest on today, haven't we? So we have. Yeah, so we, we we've been sort of briefing each other on this because we've got to we, we we've got him waiting in the wings. We've just got to press the admit button to let him in. But we we just want it. We we're going to try really hard not to talk over him. Yeah, not to interrupt him like yeah, we always do. Yeah, we're terrible. We can't stop talking. And he's got he's a really great person, sober Dave. Yeah, and um, he's got loads of really good stuff to say. So we're going to actually try really hard to let him say it. But we don't know which button. To Press. Which is this one? Is it this one, Lucy? Wait a second. I don't know, Alan. Is that one? That one there. Oh, oh, oh Jesus. Sorry, Alan. Oh, he slammed the door. Oh, God. <laughs> I was all relaxed and now Quick. I'm on it. We better be quiet. We've got to press start. We've got to look professional. I'm going to press it now. So today we're excited to welcome our second guest onto the Sober Awkward podcast, Sober Dave. Dave is one of the first people I followed when I started on this sobriety path. And he's been a huge inspiration to me. His posts and podcasts, One for the Road, are a refreshing and often vulnerable look at sobriety and mental health. His honesty and transparency means you learn alongside him and get to grasp what it's truly like being a sober man in this booze-saturated world. Over the last few years, Dave and I have become mates from afar, and it's been a pleasure getting to know this lovely and inspiring man. 
In that short time, he has become one of the most prominent sober voices out there, speaking out about his battle at events, schools and online. Dave has gone from rock bottom to becoming a sober coach, a major influencer, and his story is now helping destigmatize alcoholism in society. Welcome, Dave. Hi, hi. Um, can we just leave it there then? Because I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I was quite proud of that. I thought you'd enjoy that sort of very short ass kissing session. <laughs> you've brilliant. got to live. You've got to live up to it now, though. I know. Dave. I'm glad that you received my email yesterday where I wrote all that down. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were going to start with Dave to say to you that you were among your people here because me and Lucy, I know that your nickname when you were a drinker was Glugsy, yeah. and Lucy was the glugger and I was the glulper. So we've we've all got very similar yeah. nicknames. God, it's terrible, isn't it? But I used to be really proud of it. Did you? Oh God, yeah. Like we've talked quite a few times. Like my little party trick was downing a Stella in one. And what was yours, Vic? Mine was a pint of snake bite and black, which was the Luton record. <laughs> Why did that not surprise me, actually? <laughs> and snake bite of black for people in Australia or anyone that doesn't know it, it's a, I think it's cider mixed with beer with a shot of uh, Ribena yeah. or something, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why they bother putting the Ribena yeah, in it. I don't know honestly. what that was about. Either. No. What was that thing called a baby's brain as well? That was a shot of some oh, sort, I wasn't it? I know that one. Yeah, yeah sex on the beach. The baby's brain, maybe I just made that up, I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't sound right to me. How are you, Dave? You are right. How's England today? You got nice weather? Yeah, it's all right, actually. It's quite mild today. Um, do you miss it? No. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I won't say that for our listeners. I mean, I miss, funnily enough, I miss pubs. Like, I just imagine an English pub with low gabled ceilings and a kind of rosy-cheeked barman behind Open the bar. Open fire. Open fire. You know, your your own personal metal keg and all those mm. sort of things. It's the pub culture that I miss. But obviously, I wouldn't miss that anymore. But <laughs> no, but <laughs> you know you, what's quite interesting, actually? When we think about um, things from the past, when it comes to drinking, we fantasise it, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. And what you've done there, you've painted the perfect picture with your cardigan on and your rocking chair in a pub by the fire, rocking and telling your tales of the past, of your drinking expeditions. And in fact, it's quite often the opposite of that, isn't it? It's or very, it? very similar. Yeah, no, it is exactly what you say. And it's similar because we had the chat with William Porter, who you're friends with as well, aren't you? And um, yeah. he was—he does actually, I think he uses that phrase, fantasise. That's what we do as as, as uh, heavy drinkers. We fantasise mm. about how wonderful it will be to have that drink. And it's really, it is exactly the same. That is how Vic and I think of England. Yeah. And then when we do go back, which we obviously haven't for a while because of COVID, we, go, we land at Heathrow Airport and think, Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, it's like this, isn't it? There's always someone fighting over a trolley at Heathrow. I always land and just go, oh, God, here we go. Fights over trolleys. Then you get well, on the you M25. Even at the airport, but... I, know, get, I know. You get on the M25 and sit in traffic for half an hour oh, and then God, get some yeah. crap fish and chips. No, we oh, love England, no. though, Dave. We yeah, do no, love I like the fish and chips in England. <laughs> no, I'm joking about That was below chips. the belt. Sorry, it's sorry. Below the belt. English fish and chips are good. Yeah, Australian ones are shit. So, yeah. yeah. We've levelled out the playing field. We've upset. People, careful what you say. We've got Australian listeners. Yeah, sorry, everybody. <laughs> oh, dear. The rating's gone down straight away, but that's good for my podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, it'll push, you, it'll push you forward. Oh, we're just going to tell our listeners a little bit about why we want to do this podcast today with you, Dave. Just bear with us. 
Okay, the reason we wanted to have you on the podcast today, Dave, is so you can tell us a little bit about your own personal relationship with alcohol and help us get an idea of how this journey is different for men. Yeah, Lucy and I have experienced stay-at-home drinking, binge drinking and mummy wine culture. So today we want to hear about recovery from the male perspective, how it differs and if you think it's more difficult to talk about addiction as a man. We'd also like to pry a little into your marriage, if we may, uh, since you've been very open about how how alcohol affected your relationship and how sobriety has changed it for the better on many levels. And by the way, we love your wife too. So a big shout out to Limitless M. Um, Vic actually suggested I listen to the podcast, because I'm not really a podcast listener because I'm so busy chatting on my own podcast. I don't get time to listen to anyone else's. But Vic suggested I listen to your podcast Dave that you did with your wife Em and it was incredible it was such an emotional but just brilliant listen it was so raw and honest and open I just loved that about you Dave it's just amazing that you can be so so honest with with your listeners and and with your wife I guess as well Hmm. Um, what we want our listeners to take away from this podcast today is to know there are people like you that have struggled that are now thriving. Dave is a perfect example of how personal evolution is a possibility for everyone. Yep, we've all changed. We've evolved a little bit, maybe Vic, not so much. And giving up drinking has allowed us to grow in so many unexpected ways. None of us are hiding in our bedrooms hungover anymore. Like Dave, we're out and about. Uh, well, a little bit less of the out for me. Yes, talking... you're still hiding in a cave like yes, a hermit. I like hiding in caves <laughs> and under rocks. But we're out talking about our sobriety. I do come out and talk about it At least you every do. two yes, weeks you do. because we want to help others and we hope that our stories will help men and women understand their relationship with alcohol and then transform it. At Sober Awkward, one of our mottos is fucked up but trying to do better. And we hope Dave's story will inspire you to make some changes, feel less alone and help you understand that asking for help is not a weakness, it's a strength. So press pause, go and make a cuppa, then find a cosy spot on the couch and relax because this is going to be a good one. So Dave, there we go. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with alcohol. Where did it all start? Well, it all started when I was um, around, you know, we quite often say around 13, 14 years old, don't we? Um, yeah, it's often that age, yeah. Yeah, and I was actually quite a sort of um, a good kid growing up in what looked like the perfect family setup, you know, like Sunday dinners, the carpenters playing in the background, daddy yeah. in the garage, <laughs> mending something on his yeah, fight. Nice. And, you know, the smell of the roast coming from the kitchen and that. And um, But then it started to go wrong um, in my early teens and we moved um, area. And I had to start secondary school in the second year, which was horrific for me because um, it was quite a rough school. And I remember standing in the classroom thinking, I'm really outside my comfort zone here. But mum and dad were arguing a lot um, and then one day I got up and there was a letter on, on the kitchen table from my mum and um, she had written um, that she had left and I, I didn't know quite what to make of it, you know. It was just a, to let you know that um, I've left your father, um, we're not happy anymore and I'll be in touch. Um, and then oh. shortly after that, my dad met someone else um, and I felt incredibly rejected, you know. Um, 
and I started getting into the wrong crowd. Um, I was supposed to be accepted in some way, you know. Um, so I started drinking up the shops, asking adults to buy us beer and stuff from the off-license. And then I remember I had a tattoo done in um, a tattoo place in Tooting. And the guy's Barry Lorraine, right? And he, he had a Stetson hat on. Uh, he looked like Clint Eastwood in a film. Uh, and you never get a tattoo done there in the morning because his hands were shaking so much because he was an alcoholic. Well, you, you, you know at that point things aren't going well, don't you, when you're yeah. having a tattoo yeah. done? No, I know. Uh, and uh, it was ironic because you were going there when he, he was on his whiskies and lager chasers or the other way around, you know, and uh, had this tattoo done. And I remember rolling my sleeve up, walking around, puffing my chest out, going, yeah. I'm hard, I'm like 14 and I drink and smoke and I've got a tattoo now and it was the worst tattoo I've ever seen in my life. It what was, was like it? A, a skull with a snake going through it. Classic. It's got to be better than mine, Dave. I, well, I've got a tattoo on my foot which says, I like jumping. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah well, I'll just make... feel better already. Jesus. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Popeye with an anchor on it or something, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, um, it just says oh, um, I like jumping. <laughs> okay then, yeah. Um, but I, it, you know, the thing is, in those days, you know, fit because you're older than me. But um, <laughs> um, you could go in the pubs without ID, right? And there was a pub not far from us called the Skinner's Arms. And we started going in there and we, we were drinking with the adults, you know, and we felt like all grown up and you go in there for a couple of quid and get drunk. Um, and quite often we would get into school for hangover, but it's all a laugh then, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I was really into my sport, into my football, and I was quite a good footballer. Um, so I, I played probably three or four times a week. I was super fit. Drinking never really affected me because, you know, then with hangovers, you just get up and get on with it. And that carried on in my 20s, really. But it was only when my very, very late 20s, I suppose, I started going to a local pub um, called The New Town. And it was a young's pub. So it had the old spitting sawdust bar around one side and then the saloon bar around the other. And it was like a class thing. Now, all the builders went around it, it which was me. You know, go in there and I'd be, oh, my son, do you want a beer, son? Oh, God. Yeah, that really takes me back. Yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I love I love those days. Yeah. Yeah, those are the days and where the hangovers dried up with that uh, fry up the next day, yeah. weren't they? Those are the days. And around the other side was the, like, the Axminster carpet and the solicitors, estate mm. agents, drinking wine, you know, so it was a completely different vibe around the other side and it was like a them and us thing. But I, I started um, going in there quite a lot. And I used to order light and lagers, right? Because um, you remember in the old days, it'd be light and bitter. In, yes, I'd forgotten about those. I haven't thought about that for ages. Yeah, yeah and barley the wine. The reason I ordered um, yeah. light and lagers is because you used to pour more than half a pint of lager. So I was getting, with the bottle, more than a pint. So it showed <laughs> that I was already bloody greedy with it. Yeah. I used to drink about six, seven pints in an hour and a half. Wow. Um, yeah, that's that's quick. That's that's glugsy behaviour right there. Absolutely. But the more I got accepted in the pub, the more I spent my time in there. 
So it would stop being like a few drinks after work. It would be, I'm going in there to do the session. Um, yeah, that's really interesting, Dave, because I'd just really forgotten about that. It's like when you said about being accepted into a pub, it is a bit like that in England and possibly over here in Australia. I was always a parent when I lived here, but I know the English pub scene is that you have a pub, don't you? You have a pub that's yeah. your pub. Like, yeah. You have a local, local. yep, and you are accepted into it. It's almost like a, not a gang's probably not the right word, but it's almost another family. It is like another family. It's another family. No wonder it can become such an important part of our lives, especially so young. And as you were going through, Dave, this experience that was, you you were struggling to handle and you weren't able to find yourself and work out who you were because everything was moving under your feet at Mm. such a young age. And then you find this space where you're, accepted and welcomed um no wonder you wanted to keep going in there that just really has brought back so many memories of my drinking days in England and it being like that I remember I used to start on one side of the pub with the lawyers and the doctors and all that sort of thing and I'd always end up (laughs) round the back yeah round the dodgy side one of the doctors or the lawyers yeah Yeah. no 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 she ended up on the dodgy side with one of the dodgy people (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah, someone like Dave But no, so what happened been, next, Dave? Yeah, what happened um, then? What- well, what happened is um, I'd, I'd met someone uh, on a lad's holiday in Cos. Do you remember Cos? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a lad's holiday, and I met a head rep for Grecian holidays out there, and we sort of fell in love really quickly, and she was still working out there. Um, but when she came come back, she moved in with me, and um, then it wasn't long before we rented this nice house in this posh road and she fell pregnant um but i was still going to the pub um it was part of my culture you know and she didn't drink um ironically but um george was born um and when that happened i you know i should be more responsible and and stay at home a bit more but i didn't and I reacted to it in a little way because I was like, I don't know what was going on with me at the time, but I was drinking more. And um, after a f- couple of years, it, it didn't work out. And that was su- it was an, a really, really difficult decision for me to make. But And this is raw because I haven't really talked about this, actually. But I thought if George calls me dad, I... I would find it really hard to leave. So I had to make the decision with what do I want in my life? And, that, and it was a really difficult decision to make, actually. And we, we separated. And because now what I did there, though, was I thought, right, if this happens, I've got to completely be that dad that's always there for him, although I don't live with him. And I was and I always have been up to today, you know. Um, and we had the same rules together as separated parents, but I never let him be spoiled um, because it wasn't her way in that. And, you know, he's been the best man at my wedding and his mum, I got on really well with still. So, so it all worked out for the best. But what happened after that was I literally went on a mission. Um, and my 30s was literally mad, like, Sunday sessions, I would be waiting at the door at midday for the landlord to open the door and I'd be the first one in. 
Um, and they were in the days that you smoke in pubs, you know. So, so you'd walk in and, you know, you'd smell the horrible, stale fag smell from the night before. But, I mean, I'm going to paint the picture of this pub and you're going to, you're either going to love it or hate it. But We're going to be salivating. I'm, I can already, tell I'm salivating <laughs> about the the, muff, the, the, the smell of the, smell. the smoke. Yeah, <laughs> and all that beer soaked into the carpet over the years. You still yeah, that it's it. very nostalgic for Lucy oh, and I over yeah. in Australia. Well, it's going to go on and you're going to feel even more like you're going to miss it. But um, And then in those days, you used to, uh, in the, in this pub, they would have the seafood man come round and put seafood on the bar. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then um, the nuts. Well, we all know the theory on the peanuts on the bar, don't yes, we? Yes, little urine in it, isn't it? Lots yeah, of urine. Yeah, that's it. Where yeah. men don't wash their bloody hands, and then they pick a handful of nuts out of the thing. Not but, very COVID safe. No, not now. But but then the like it was one of those family pubs. So you you there was a guy called Keith Gravit who would come with his wife and kids, and they would sit there and they did lovely roast dinners in there, and uh, also they did a meat raffle about three o'clock because the the dad of the landlord was an old butcher and uh this meat raffle <laughs> you would see about five o'clock all these drunken people walking down the road with a, like a leg of lamb over their shoulder and i was like juggling it all the way home um, Oh, and, it, and it was that kind of part, but the more it went on, the more I was doing the session from midday till half ten at night because I, I thought, Gosh. what's the point going home? You know, yeah. and there was a whole different crowd in the evening. But by then, I was absolutely plastered. You know, um, it's interesting, Dave, that you talk about um, that point in your relationship where you became a father, and um, you because me and Lucy talk a lot about the transition between party girl to motherhood and it's very interesting mm. to hear that men it is difficult for men as well because actually that's an area that's never ever talked about as well isn't it we mm. say look it's so hard to go from being that person that's out all the time to suddenly being at home stuck with a baby and suddenly you've got all of these responsibilities no wonder like you and I and Lucy we all kind of rebelled against that because we were so used to going out and just letting go and and escaping yeah. from this this yeah. parenthood journey and no wonder relationships fail at that point because it is such a huge change so it's so interesting to hear that you also went through that from the male perspective I find that fascinating yeah it, it was really tough for me actually and I felt so guilty about it but I suppose the only thing I could say is that I've, I've made up for it since then and if his mum was next to me now she would say you know Dave's been a brilliant dad and I think well if I hadn't stayed there, what would be the quality of his upbringing then? Because we mm, just didn't mm. get on. But I think part, well, a lot of the reason we didn't get on because I loved that culture and she hated it, you mm. know. Um, and really, in hindsight, we were talking chalk and cheese because she was a holiday rep and she didn't drink and she she was done with that and wanted to come down and come back and settle down. Mm. Where I, I was 30 when George was born. Was she older than you then, Dave? I was wondering yeah, about the ages. Yeah, she, I was 30 and she was 79. So, <laughs> well, I, I thought you'd like an older lady, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good on you, good on you. We'll love an older lady. <laughs> yeah. So she, she, she'd given up 20 years ago, had she? That was it, yeah. Well, so her teeth were falling out and she kept dribbling it out. So I didn't know really. <laughs> No, no, it was, yeah, she was older than me. And also, um, it was never part of her, her sort of upbringing either. So, so it was quite different. But it's interesting because uh, 
now I don't drink, I can see how it must have been for her back then, you know, giving birth to a lovely baby and, and thinking that everything's great. And I'm still coming in from the pub, falling asleep when George was crying. And it must have been really, really difficult for her, you know. But I suppose this was just going to be your path and you had to get this out of your system because you wouldn't be where you are now without that whole period of you drinking up until, you know, five, four or five years ago when you stopped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just part of it, isn't it? It's two different people with two different paths. And unfortunately, sometimes those paths don't intertwine. They come together and sometimes come apart again. And that's that's actually OK. I just think that's part of life. And we do feel a lot of guilt and shame about those situations. But as you say, you've been an amazing dad and yeah I just think you know it's it's you can't have shame about these things because it yeah. is part of our I think life. I think it's when you look back at these things you think god why wasn't that a turning point for me why did having a son not stop me drinking at the time and uh I think we all look back and we see these big big things that have happened in our world and we think why didn't that stop me drinking why wasn't that my turning point and some massive things have happened and they should have stopped us but if it wasn't our time to stop or we weren't ready it just could it, it wasn't going to happen was it no lucy always said she needed to literally a, a doctor to say to you you need to go on a dialysis machine <laughs> because your kidney and liver and mm. everything is is about to die that mm. was the only way that you would have yeah, well, I hoped that's what hoped, I, I got yeah. to the point where I hoped that somebody would tell me there's something wrong with your liver. If you don't stop drinking, you're going to die because I mm. honestly thought that was the only way it was going to stop me because I'd been through all sorts of life changing and wonderful things. I'd had two kids as well. Why wasn't that my turning point? Um, it just wasn't. Having a child is such a massive thing, but it's sometimes it just isn't enough to stop you drinking if you're that hooked on it. Mm. I think it's a really important conversation, actually, because listening to you then, I, I was, you know, the old cocks were turning, and it, and it's, I think it highlights how much of an internal battle it is in your life, isn't it? Because it we is. look in hindsight now, we've stopped drinking, and we think, you know, why this, why not? But at the time, we've got all this stuff going on, and, and <laughs> you evolve, don't you? And I, and I you feel do, like... You do. Yeah, I feel like... I I was 54, so like three years that I stopped drinking, right, nearly. Um, but I wasn't ready at any point before that at all, you know. And I think I tried to moderate, which lasted about two days. Um, mm -hmm. Because Emma said to me, look, why don't we just share a bottle of wine? And I knew I had to do something about my drinking because it was ridiculous. So I thought, well, that's better than nothing. But actually it wasn't because when I had probably three quarters of a bottle of that wine, that was just like leading me up the garden path because then I was worse than if I'd have had none. So after two days, I started smuggling it in again. And then Em was like, oh, you seem really drunk again, yet we've only had half a bottle. And it's like my demon voice, hello. I hit <laughs> two bottles under the bed. So, yeah. you know, and then I thought, well, moderation is completely out for me. And then I realised that there was only one way out, you know, and, and that still took a while for me to get my head around that. For those of you that are giving sobriety a go this sober October, we hope you're doing well. Isn't it just brilliant not having hangovers? To celebrate your momentous month of being alcohol-free, Sober Awkward has reactivated the Liars promo code SOBER20. Woohoo! 
Liars have opened up this deal to our listeners in the USA, the UK and here in Australia. Just go to their website and add this code SOBER20 at checkout. Liars have also launched a loyalty programme in Australia so everyone can join and be rewarded for shopping with them. They've also built a brand new swanky page for mixology classes so anyone who purchases can enjoy a complimentary lesson. Lucy and I loved learning how to mix up some of their mocktails on there. It was a right laugh, wasn't it, Lucy? Yeah, it was. I had no idea that alcohol-free drinks could be so yummy. And it's nice to feel like we're still getting a treat. Yeah, definitely. For more information, go to liars, that's L-Y-R-E-S, dot com dot A-U. Yeah, we, we did an episode on risk where Lucy and I list all the ridiculous things that have happened in our lives that have made us not stop drinking. And it took us until we were in our mid-40s, both of us, until mm. we stopped. Um, it's amazing how many red flags are sort of flying in front of us, but we just, mm. because it's so normalised and so ingrained, mm. there's not actually any other option. I, de- I never felt like there was an option for me to stop because why would I want to be that person that I hate because I hated sober people so much? And that's one of my huge regrets that I talk about so much is that I had a real problem with sober people because they could remember my behaviour when I couldn't. So therefore, I never wanted to be that boring sober person. But now, obviously, as you say, we have evolve and I think it has a lot to do with maturity and age as well like I had to get to a point where I was mature and old enough to understand what I was doing to myself wasn't you know wasn't great so yeah it does come with age at what point did your drinking become a problem Dave when did you start to recognize them and see those red flags well in my 30s I didn't look at it as a problem because I was in full party mode you know so it used to be I, I ended up calling it the loser's arms in the end because I realised that a lot of them weren't my friends. Right. Um, but I, I bought a house um, which was about three miles away from the pub and it's like a beautiful old, I'm going to make you jealous again now, it's a beautiful old cottage, 18th century cottage with two open fireplaces and the garden backed onto the woods and it was south-facing so you could sit in the garden all day with the sun on your face. Um and I'd become a solitary drinker then because mm. I knew I couldn't really drive to the pub because I, I wouldn't even really have one because of drinking and driving, which is ironic because every morning I was well over the limit. Um, but so I started drinking indoors. Um, mm. And then I really began to love that. You know, I, I would have a, a lock-in. Um, so Friday afternoon, I used to finish early, get me a big trolley, fill it up with chicken and flipping vodka, Stella's, cider, wine boxes, the lot. Go in and not come out till Monday morning. Uh, I wouldn't talk to anyone. I wouldn't text anyone in case they would ring me. And I loved it, but I literally did that for 10 years. Um, and I've completely don't remember my 40s and that mm. devastates me like it's Gosh, yeah. like a complete blur <laughs> but the thing is though I was not accountable to anyone like not one person so I ended up drinking a litre of vodka a night Gosh. nearly every night but weekends I would start lunchtime because in my head the pubs opened at 12 or 11 or whatever so it's all right um drink a few beers watch the sport fall asleep wake up and then hit the vodka and then pass in and out of consciousness until it was dark, and then get up the next day, start again, and then fully function on a Monday. Well, not fully function, but 
um, until Monday night. And I did that for 10 years. And then I was asked to go on a TV show. Um, you must know 60 Minute Makeup, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, I used to yeah. watch it. I remember talking to you about it before, Dave, and I used yeah. to watch it and I used to think, my God, those people are so hungover. Yeah, <laughs> you I could know. tell. You could tell, but everyone on it was hungover. Well, the thing is with that is that I had been a recluse for 10 years. So when I went for the interview, I went to ITV and there's all these bouncing around girls in their 20s. Oh, Dave. Yeah. And uh, I, I got the job. Um, and yeah. when I went there, I thought, I don't know how to socialise. This is a nightmare. But after a few beers, they realised I was a lad and um, I fitted in. And um, I spent years like going to hotels after the shoot and getting pissed. And one night, um, there was a producer that would come from Hollyoaks, right? And he was a bit of a lad. He looked like Paul Weller. And our rounds were a bottle of wine each. So it wasn't like a round of beers. It was a round of a bottle of wine. Wow. I remember that night, I drank four bottles of wine, right, until about three in the morning. And the next morning, we had to get up at six. And I could hear this, like, tapping sound, like. And it got louder and louder and louder. And then it was, Dave, Dave. And it was one of the guys from the show. And I'd never got up late or anything. And I remember I got got in the van and I was absolutely drunk driving to this this makeover uh, and it was in um, old people's home like uh, oh, how awful. And it was in the summer and it was about that the heating on as well um, and there must <laughs> have been a uh, hundred people in this room because it wasn't a house it was like um, where they all sat and did their games and whatever, and it was stick down carpet. It was it, it. was the worst scenario in the whole world I could have had. And all day I was literally hanging out of my own ass. Yeah, the, the <laughs> night, that night we're straight on it again, and it goes round and round and round, right? So it was all part of the crack. But then one day we went into um, Wandsworth and did this makeover, and it was beautiful road and whatever. It was a little close actually. And at the end of the day, Peter Andre went over to the car and this lovely blonde girl got out and walked past me. And I've nudged my mate Rob and gone, Jesus Christ, she's lovely. And that was that. But then three months later, when the show was aired on ITV, randomly I went on Twitter and um, M, the woman that we did the makeover for, had tweeted something about the makeover. So I'm sitting there in my pants, right? <laughs> I'm picturing it. Yeah, I said, "Oh, hi, Emma. Um, I'm the carpet guy from the show. I'm with all the crew now, just to let you know that this was the best makeover that we've done this year." Blah blah. When I was on my own, half a bottle mm. of vodka down in my pants, with my hair sticking up in the air, you know, and <laughs> I painted this picture that I was in this huge room with this huge yeah. screen. And we got chatting on uh, Twitter and that, and then it wasn't long before we exchanged numbers and we arranged a, a day, right? Um, and then um, time went on a little bit, and she said, oh, should we meet Saturday? My main thought was, wasn't, oh, yeah, I can't wait to meet with Where can we meet so I can have a few drinks? Yeah, because definitely, yeah. Get miles away. Um, yeah. And that was kind of wrong anyway but on the friday it was christmas jumper day um and i just <laughs> uh, i know it's random isn't it 
uh, <laughs> How come you remember that? Well, I, well, I'll tell you why I remember it. Um, and you, you know what? Oh, I see. Um, I said... Because you, you were wearing uh, a Christmas jumper. He's <laughs> probably sick on it. My, my Christmas <laughs> pants, right? <laughs> now, I, I sent her a message and I said, send me a picture of your Christmas jumper. And I... It's, I mean, I come out with the class lines. I really do. You do, yeah. Show us your jumper. Yeah, yeah. Look at him and his father. It gets serious now. right? So I didn't hear all day nothing, and I just let it go. So I went home, and it was Friday. My usual Friday lock-in. And I'm half bottle of vodka down, a few Stellas and whatever sitting there. And, I, and she texts back to her, oh, hi, um, sorry I haven't been in touch. I've been at the hospital all day. And I said, oh, okay, are you all right? And she said, no, I'm not actually. Um, my cancer's come back. Wow. And I looked at it and I was like, Jesus, because that's the reason why we did the makeover the first time, because... I mean, it's a long story. It's a whole other podcast. But she, she, she had triplets, right, with IVF, and she got breast cancer six months later, and her partner left as well. Um, so it's how she survived those first five years, and that they wrote into the show, and they they got on the show, and that's how we met, you know. Um, but there's me in my drunken state texting for two or three hours thinking i hope she doesn't call because i'm going to be drunk on the thing but we arranged to meet the next day in the morning and she actually come over to the house and i remember and she even to this day now she's doesn't know why she did that because didn't even know me you know but it was almost like she was in such a state over the the um, news that she'd received um so she come over to the house and um, went into my kitchen and I made a cup of tea and that. And she, to this day, she said, I oh, remember your hands were really shaking. Right. Uh, she didn't really realise the extent of your drinking until that point. No, no. And I don't know how she didn't smell it on me because yeah. I must have stank a booze in that. Anyway, we spent the day together uh, and, and it, 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 it was a real special connection because, you know, and she's just such a lovely person, you know. Um, yeah. And it was a few days later that she was having chemo, and that was kind of our one of our first dates, and that's how we got to know each other, um, by sitting there all day in the chemo ward. She had the cold cap on, um, all these tubes coming out. But I remember one specific time, right, that I had to get the bus to the hospital because I was so hungover the next morning. I thought, if I get pulled up, I'm going to prison because mm. I was – and I walked into the ward and I was late and she's sitting there with her cold cap on and the tubes coming out. And I looked at her and I gave her a hug and I thought, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. There's this beautiful woman who's fallen in love with me, desperately clutching onto life. And there's me. I'm just killing myself. You know, mm. it, it was a real moment for me. And... I just felt so, so terrible all day thinking about it and it was awful, you know. But that was at the beginning of our relationship, you know, and, and she she recovered from the cancer. Um, she didn't lose too much hair. And it was a few months after that that um, we were out in Harrogate having a chat and we were talking about her house, my house, and we decided if I sold my house... Um, 
then the money I got from that, we could extend hers. And it was all like this huge dream. I sold my house in six weeks. In that six weeks, I thought, I have to sort my drinking out because I, yeah. I can't. I've hid it from her so well. Um, I can't go into this new life with the woman I love with this drinking problem. Yeah. Every single day. I failed and I thought I'd do it tomorrow, I'd do it tomorrow, I'd do it tomorrow. The We had a completion date and a moving out date and uh, the Friday before we had dinner at my house and out of the blue I said to her, I've got something to tell you. Yeah. And she, she said, what is it, what is it? And I said, I think I'm a functioning alcoholic, right? Mm. And she, it was like she put her fingers in her ears and, and she's like, la, 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 la. And, and it was just deadly silence. And, and she said, okay, all right, well, you know, we deal with that, blah, blah. And we didn't talk about it after that. And I moved in the week later and uh, it was a nightmare. I'd cold most of my life. Um, and I thought, I'm literally going cold turkey here. I haven't planned for this whatsoever. Um, and the first two or three days I didn't have a drink. It was a nightmare. Uh, and then gradually, it was then it was the weekend, and I said, oh, should we get some wine? And I gradually introducing, uh, started introducing alcohol into the house. And after two or three months, that's when she started to see that actually this isn't what it, I thought it was. So um, what was the turning point there? What actually, did you have to have a discussion and say, right, we actually need to do something about this? How did you manage to, to stop, Dave? Oh, God, that's right down the road, that was. Like, it, it, it was... I introduced wine in, she started drinking more. And you know what the um, statistics around alcohol and breast cancer is? Um, but because I was drinking more, she was drinking more. Then we were having friends over and she she said, I'm going to go and get the shop in and get the wine in. And she would get like two bottles of wine for six people. And I said, no, I'll go, I'll get it and come back with two cases of wine, a case of Stella um, and, and some... Prosecco or something, you know, it used to cost me yeah. a fortune, but just so I could feed myself. Um, and then we started really, really arguing, falling out. Um, there were some real rock bottoms. I went missing for four days in Eastbourne. Some people already know the story, but I slept rough for four days. Um, wow. I drank all day in the pub. I must have drank 15, 16 pints of Stella, bought a bottle of vodka from the co op, and went and sat on the beach. And I'd done a house to provide that. Came back. Still wasn't enough for me to stop drinking. Uh, and it wasn't until the Christmas after, a few months after, that she walked to my office and she just looked shattered. And she said, I don't think I can do this anymore. And that, that really hurt me, you know, like to see her after all she had been through in her life. Uh, it, it really made a mark in me. And... After Christmas, I just thought, I've got to sort this out, you know. And January the 7th, 2019, a friend texts me down the road and, and he said, how would you feel about joining me um, in stopping drinking alcohol for three months to see how your marriage is, your health, okay. and your quality of life and that? And, and I, I had a hangover, of course I did. And I laughed. I thought I couldn't give up three days, but it trickled in. It was weird. It just trickled in. All day. It was like perfect timing, sort of, that so guy to send you that right? message. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so what I'm what I'm hearing here, Dave, is that you you had a 
child with somebody and that wasn't enough for you to stop drinking. You met another amazing woman who didn't drink and you saw her going through this horrific chemo and that mm. wasn't enough to stop you drinking. Mm. And so a number of things happened in your world. And, you know, from anyone looking from the outside, they'd be like, why wasn't that enough? But of course, you were caught up in the addiction that the three of us understand. And that's why you couldn't stop when those momentous things were happening in your world. But then this guy says to you, hey, let's 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 have a period of being sober and you decide to go with it. It's like a hand, the hand of God, isn't it? Reaching out of a cloud and grabbing hold of you. Sometimes no, it, it is. But that. do you know what I believe? There's such a thing as spontaneous sobriety. And I think Annie Grace's dad did that. He was drinking a bottle of whiskey a day and then just gave up. But I believe it's more than that. Because I've been thinking about it for a long time. So when I tried to moderate and it didn't work, I realised at that point that it was all or nothing for me. It was just carry on to kill myself or I'd have to stop. And as soon as I realised that, it then took a few months more than that for me to get my head around it. And it was, I suppose it was the perfect timing for me then yeah. that I got that message. And I often and, and your that. friend your friend sort of stepped in at that point and said, hey, let's do this period sober. And, and the timing was right for you. And the reason that I just wanted to interrupt, and I'm sorry that I did, is that it's so similar to my meeting of Vic. Mm. I, I really, I was exactly the same. Loads and loads of really big things happened in my world that should have stopped me drinking and they didn't. But then one day I just met one person, but I was actually so ready mm. um, to stop drinking that it was that, that actually actually really was the turning point for me so the turning point actual thing was not as big as all that it wasn't some massive event it was just meeting somebody um so something quite similar to you somebody just said let's try this sober thing and that was the turning point you were so ready and it was another guy who won who was obviously struggling with his drinking as well because well you say that but um he he wasn't really a drinker and i didn't oh he wasn't I think he, he had just seen him on the common one day looking really, really, like, bedraggled from my drinking. Right, and yeah. he knew that I was having a problem with it. And and I mm. just think he, did, it, he had the intuition to message me and it was the right timing. But do you know what's even more interesting is that a few days later we had an appointment at the um hospital because she had a lump appear in another place and she was re-diagnosed with cancer for the third time wow so there's a lot going on in that period isn't it yeah. and of course that is a perfect excuse for you to get stuck yeah, back into the, to the booze again well or to go either way i yeah. to say right that is it i'm done with drinking i'm going to be there for her or to carry on drinking and numb it all out because it's yeah. too much to handle so there you have this fork in the path Mm. and um, it makes it particularly hard and, and very hard as a, as a man. I mean, this is where where obviously we, co we, co we come from a women and mummy point of view with the drinking, but, but do you think it's harder for men to speak out about addiction and mental health? Do you think that was part of the struggle for you, basically being male? It was never a struggle for me because I've always been an open book. Um, mm. And although, like, when I was young, I was really easily led, 
and buy the group up the shops where we were buying the beer and the group that put me on a bus with them and had the tattoo and that. I was always quite independent, I think, from my 20s. Um, and I, I've i never really worried about, you know, me, what men think of me. And mm. when, I, when I look at my Instagram, right, 84% of my followers are women. And yeah, I look like George Clooney. Come on, let's face it, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you do. I didn't know Sonny's the other yeah, day. Yeah, I was just saying to Vic. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the fact is, right, women yeah. definitely talk about it more. And I'll give you another example, right? So I'm a grey area drinking coach, and I did a post the other day about five signs of grey area drinking. And in all the comments that I got, there was one man that related. Mm. To that and the rest were women and I, the reason i think that is because men bury their and I, I have to say as well not all men but the majority of men bury their head in the sand about stuff like that um yeah, they do. and more men reach a rock bottom before they stop uh stop before women their mothers and they they put other things in the equation like their children their health and stuff like that before it gets to that stage you know, so um, I think it's a problem, but I think there's more and more of us speaking out now about mental health, about being okay to talk about it. And you see my Instagram, I talk about anything and I don't care. Well, I know, know, that's why you're so relatable and that's why, you know, your voice resonates with so many because there aren't many men out there. I've just got a little stat here. It says um, in Australia, the number of suicide deaths is approximately three times higher in males than in females and men are more likely to die because of alcohol and drug use than women. So the stats show that men are less likely to actively take steps to access the services or professional help. Mm because they're embarrassed because of stigma stigma and because they seem weak it's so culturally ingrained and pub culture and everything mm. what advice would you give someone dave who who is stuck in that gray area drinking right now like we all were at some point i call it my pinot gris purgatory that place where we feel like we had a problem but we are not brave enough to tell anyone about it or even mention the word alcoholic what would you say to someone i think um it's so different now, you know. I mean, even ten years ago, you had AA, um, and I, I think there's so much more help out there now. There's so many communities like um, Nakoa for children of alcoholics. There's there's so many organisations that you can get online resources from. There's Facebook groups. There's things like this podcast. But reach out. I think the main thing is to not feel like you're alone with this and you're right about the shame and stigma i mean you know i'm working alongside sarah drage now who lost her dad he was two years older than me and she had to turn his life support machine off and um that she believes he died because of the shame and stigma surrounding yes um the word alcoholic gosh and, yeah um i'm really working hard to change that alongside alcohol change uk um we're doing a big campaign soon to try and stop that we're trying to stop sober shaming as well which i'm guilty of you're probably guilty of um yeah definitely raise awareness but it's reaching out honestly and i get so that that post i did the other day about grey drinking i had so many dms 
and that's how men reach out to me actually privately um but if that's a start that's okay isn't it yeah I mean, yeah, just giving people that platform to start from is amazing. I loved that episode with Sarah Drage. I did listen to that. Mm. And I loved the way it was a different perspective because sometimes, you know, we're talking about us being in the situation and being big drinkers. But it was lovely to hear from someone from a different point of view who's experienced. And I also listened to your one, um, the guy from Emmerdale last week Mm. as well. I can't remember his name, but that was a brilliant episode. Liam, yeah, uh, his perspective as well about his father that was also a huge drinker. Mm. It was so interesting to hear not only the stories of people, but also how drinking affects families and how it affects communities and and how it all leads on. And and I really believe, uh, Lucy and I, the reason we do this podcast as well and talk to people like you is because we're trying to change the cycle. Like you, we're trying to speak up about it and hope that when we talk, people will understand that you don't have to do this. This This isn't a path you have to take. I know it seems like an obligatory thing to do when you're socialising is to drink, but actually you don't have to and you can say no. And the only way we're going to get this message out there is by talking about it and being honest about it and doing exactly what you're doing, Dave, and really getting this message out there. So we really admire you for that. And it's really great. It's great having you on here talking to us as well, because when we started this podcast, we really just put something out there sort of almost as a little confessional for us to share all the awful things that we've done in our lives but we do get a lot of people contact us as well and we were surprised that quite a few of them were men yeah yeah. as well we weren't expecting that at all we thought we'd have a a, a all all female following just because of who we are Um, but we love the fact that we've got men who who write in and talk to us and are listening and does it matter whether we're men or women you know we all need help because we all know how helpless we are when we're stuck in that situation where we can't bloody stop drinking yeah and everybody suffers at the same level it doesn't matter what you know what sex you are what gender you are you know where you come from it's all the same level of suffering isn't it and we're all finding it difficult to get out of it and i think podcasts like this hopefully will will help people what's it like being what's it like dave being the sober version of you now It's bloody great, to be honest, and I mean that um, because I, I'm a I'm a, a deep thinker, and I think that was part of the reason I drank. I over I was an overthinker with everything when I was drinking, so you can imagine what I'm like now. But I philosophise about a lot of things, and um, you say about getting a message out there. Um, I think you saw that I was asked to do a talk in a college last week, and I invited Sarah to join me. To yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And so it's in front of 200 students in the morning, 200 in the afternoon. And the message was exactly what you said then, Vic, about um, being comfortable enough to say no, right? Yes. Um, and to not go along with the crowd. And, and to if you don't want to drink, you don't have to drink. And, and the response was incredible. The head teacher said she'd never seen them stay so quiet in throughout a talk. But at the end... Uh, the DMs I got from the students after, wow. and, and some were coming from the perspective of their parents' drink, right? Mm. And this girl come up to me, and she, I'd sit her down. She was really, really tearful, and and she said, "I don't know what to do. My dad locks himself in his bedroom every single night because mm. my mum was unfaithful to him, and uh, he just drinks wine, and I, I don't know how to approach him." So. I, I discussed the options of maybe getting him out of the house, taking the dog for a walk and just coming from a compassionate angle and just saying, Dad, look, 
I, I'm really worried and, you know, from that way, because for a man to think he's probably hurting his daughter is devastating, you know. But when you're locked into that world of numbing your emotions every mm. single night, sometimes you forget about that, don't you? you? You're wrapped up in your own world. You can be quite selfish, really. But it made me really, really think that us talking about it as much as we can and reaching out, like your podcast has incredible downloads, mine's doing okay, and online conversations, having these space, these safe spaces available for, for people to reach out to, takes you off that desert island where you feel like you're on your own with this and no one will understand. Right? Yeah. Yep. And that was so important because once you start the conversation going, that can change not just that person's life, but everyone's lives around them as well. Yeah, and I think it's great to be honest about what sobriety is really like. Like me and Lucy and you, we're not saying it's fucking brilliant all the time. We're saying it can be really hard and it can be really shit and we do get lonely and sometimes we feel isolated and stuff, don't we? Especially Lucy's, you know, struggling socially, aren't you, Lucy? Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never go out. But that's okay. That's why I actually don't really want to go out. So that's just something I'm learning about myself. Yeah. But yeah, to say that, you know, sobriety is it, what what I and we, we were talking about it on the podcast the other day and it came to me then it's it's not about living the same life that you're living now not drinking without the booze it's about living a completely different life and you can't really imagine what that is until you step into it but I just wanted to say to you Dave as well I can I totally get how school kids would would listen to what you say don't you reckon Vic he's yeah, so, relatable. so relatable yeah. like this London lad standing yeah. up just talking obviously you look like George Clooney so all the girls yeah. were probably yeah. swooning. So you had both the, you know, you had you had both sexes listening in and, and and probably hanging on your every word. But that's what I mean. We need real normal people like yeah. the three of us. You know, we're nothing special. We're just normal people yeah. who have struggled with alcohol for a huge part of our life. But but against all the odds, we yeah. came out of it, and mm. we just want to tell people how we did it. Yeah. And I can, I can, I can get why a school full of kids would listen to you. Yeah, actually, I think they were scared shitless. Actually, that's the truth. <laughs> it threatened them beforehand. Were you shouting at yeah. them? And a knife yeah, in his back pocket. Got the guns out, and I, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's got his tattoo out, yeah. his skull tattoo. So yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah, terrifying. Yeah. I think um, I, I appreciate your honesty, Dave, because I think that's one thing is like for me and Lucy, like we want to talk in an honest way about this and say, look, sometimes we're shit parents. Sometimes we're shit at most things we do. Like sometimes we're just rubbish people. But it doesn't mean to say that we are failures and it doesn't mean to say that our lives aren't enriched by our sobriety, which they definitely are aren't they Lucy yeah they really are and th that's with the podcast it was just about saying let's just get on there and start talking we we didn't really make any plans we just started talking we thought if we make mistakes we're not going to edit stuff we're just going to be two people talking two idiots shooting the shit <laughs> because with my podcast right when you came on my Vic I did I never planned anything I I 
I've um, had Andy Ramage on yesterday, and I sat in a chair, and he came on, and I thought, right, let's just have a chat. You know, yeah. it's, it works better that it way. Does. It, it does. It's it more does. organic. I'd just yeah. like to say to our listeners as well, because you your podcast that I listen to, the one with your wife, um, mm. that's a really interesting one for people to listen to if they've got a partner who doesn't drink and they're trying not to drink. Mm. So um, anyone who is struggling with that, and it's something we'd like to talk about in more detail, to listen to Sober Dave's podcast with his wife and how they got through that battle where you were a drinker and she wasn't. I thought it was mm. such a brilliant listen and I, I did cry in fact what Vic does is she she senses my mood and then she'll send me a podcast link I so do. if she knows I'm a bit emotional she'll send me a podcast to make me cry yeah. and it worked with this one I just feel like you should let your emotions go Lucy <laughs> Just let it all out. When I finished listening, yeah. I phoned her straight up in tears. Blubbing sort of saying, like an oh, idiot she was. Oh, wow. And, you know, there was so much about that that was just so brilliant. And, um, you know, just both of you being so open, I think, is a great thing for people yeah. to listen Thank to. You. And to see that all of our stories are just so similar They're at the, the end same. of the day. They're all the same. One of the emails we get a lot, Dave, on the podcast is from people who are in that situation. It's one of my most common questions, isn't it? It's like, how do I give up drinking when my partner still drinks? Mm. And we always say the same thing. This is a solo mission. Like, you have to take hold of your responsibility for your life. Was it like that for you, Dave, with you and M? Did you like have to go, right, this is actually something I've got to do? It's great to have the support of somebody, of course, but actually this is something you have to do on your own. Did you find that? 100%. I mean, if she had come into my office that day and said, you need to stop drinking, I think that would have had a completely different yes. uh, impact yeah. on me than when she said, oh, I don't think I can do this anymore. Yeah, um, exactly. And really, really interestingly, she does say later on that if you had have carried on drinking, she probably couldn't have coped. She probably would have walked, didn't she? Well, she wouldn't have walked. She'd have made me walk. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. You would have stumbled in those days. Yeah. But again, um, it's that right. timing thing, isn't it? That timing, you you know, the timing was right. She was coming to the end of, she she couldn't manage it anymore. And you were just so ready. You'd had enough. You were done drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, the time was was right for you to give up. How is Em? Is she all right? It has the, she's all in remission and everything for a while now. Yeah, she has um, like aftercare treatment every three weeks for the rest of her life. But I say to her, it's like having your MOT every three weeks because she has her bloods taken and they can monitor her, you know. Um, yeah. And it's a bit of a pain because um, she can't have visitors. So she goes there on her own every three weeks. Oh, in the gosh, yeah, because of COVID. Yeah, yeah gosh, that's she's awful. Great. And, and she ran the marathon two weeks ago. Um, wow. Where she smashed that. Um, I was a bit tired because I, I met her uh, um, three different parts of the marathon. <laughs> you had to get the bus, did you? And then on the platform, draining. Um, <laughs> Poor you. No, she, she's good. She's good. And she's got uh, lots of things. She's incredibly inspirational, isn't she? So yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody follow yeah. Limitless Limitless M on Instagram. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. got, got yeah. her own incredible story as well. We well, just they're all going to follow me after this. Yeah, yeah well, they will, of course. Of course. But now we said George Clooney, they'll yeah. be they'll be flocking. Oh, they're going to be disappointed, aren't they? <laughs> no, I think they will unfollow me. 
<laughs> we always say that, Lucy and I. It's funny, you see all these photographs on Instagram of before and after, like when yeah. I was drinking and when I'm sober. And for Lucy and I, I always say, well, actually, I've got uglier. I'm going to be one of those women that just looks more and more like Les Dawson as I get older. <laughs> I'm sort of yeah. reverting into Les, Les Dawson with Les Dennis. Yeah, yeah, I've got yeah, Les, that is what we're like. <laughs> Les Dawson and Les Dennis. That is like, it's fine. Uh-huh. I know. So yeah, I reckon if people see us, if we ever go into TV, Lucy, I mean, I think we've both got a good face for radio, but I, I don't well, know. We about... Definitely, we definitely. Is got that a face why I can't hear you on his podcast? Then that's because we're hidden in the booth. Yeah, we're hidden in the <laughs> booth because yeah. Dave, this. Um, Alan, the sound guy, can't bear to look at our hideous faces anymore. I just might mention here that at the moment, Alan, the sound guy, is standing outside the booth. I can't believe Ricky still came in with her nightie on. I mean, I was doing these up Mother Brown for you. Alan, come in and say hello. This is our grumpy sound guy. Alan, got a massive bit of cardboard that he's waving around to cool us down. Alan, what temperature? What temperature is it out there? Or in here? Do you know the temperature in the booth? Is it? Yeah, we're like, we're oh in subtropical God. Queensland it's... in a little booth. It is so hot. He's got a massive bit of cardboard that he's fanning us with. Know, That's know, how it's... professional we are. It sounds like we're in southeast London or somewhere, but actually we're in tropical Queensland recording this, which is like, ever oh, so it's weird. But, yeah. I know, it's so it's weird, isn't it? Dave. Alan, and Alan the sound guy is from Brighton as well. So, yeah, we're all oh, good. Brits, Brits abroad. We just want to say thank you, Dave, for, well, just being Dave. Your daily updates and insight into sober living really are the flathead screwdriver in a lot of people's sober toolboxes. Yeah, they are. And I'm going to I'm going to make a point of listening to more of your podcasts. And I don't listen to anyone. So hopefully you'll be pleased yeah. with that because I just love that one. We're thank you. Again. We're season three's out now. And um, there's some amazing guests on this season as well. You know, I'm trying to vary it around. And I've even got a guy who's in his early 20s that I've come across. And oh, he, great. He's in Australia, actually. Oh, great. He That's... lives in Australia. What's his name? I don't I'll know. I'll put you on the spot, yeah. Can't remember. Hey, can um, you, is anyone Charlie, else? Charlie, but I, he's, um, his account is aimed at younger guys. Okay, that is so um, needed here. At, um, like changing your mindset around things. Don't go along with a with a crowd don't bow to peer pressure okay. um, and that's why i i've asked him to come on because i'm trying to get the message out to all age groups yeah all yeah gender, whatever you know and whether they drink or not cherry healy came on last week and she still drinks so it's not all about you have to be sober it's this mindful to, um, being mindful about you know, it i guess it's mindful drinking it's you know so so that's what i want to aim at and um, if anyone's interested as well, me and them did a film last Tuesday for Alcohol Change UK um, about relationships and drinking, and that's going to be released around the Alcohol Awareness Week, which is in the 15th to the 22nd of November, but I think they're releasing the film just before that. We have no idea what it looks like because we were interviewed separately, so God knows what she said about me. But I tell you what. <laughs> I know what I said about her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll look forward to that. Send us the details. Yeah, that day. yeah, because we'll we put it on can, our yeah. Instagram page as well. Vic will yeah, share yeah, it. Yeah. 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 There's lots in the pipeline. I'm sure there are for you. And thank you for flying me out to us in the mum's time to film <laughs> yeah. you. Um, it does feel like you're nearby. 
Yeah, I appreciate the um, first class ticket you've got me. Um, <laughs> one Don't. way. Sorry, the next Em. guest will have we're, too high expectations. We're, yeah, we're, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we I haven't worked out. Like I, I, I've, left, I've left Vic in charge of uh, podcast guests and we've had two English guys on yeah. so far. So she's obviously got a fetish. My type. She's my got type. a fetish for English guys. She, in fact, she married one as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you miss the accent, don't you, Vic? Yeah, I do. She does. But it's my, been great. It's the accent. I love your accent and it's great to chat with you. It's taken a trip down memory lane, but also uh, wonderful to hear your story because I know that it will help so many people and we can't wait to see where your journey takes you next. It's been an honour, Dave, to have you as a guest on our podcast today. Yeah, we've got a quick book. We've got a quick book recommendation, Dave. What's your, just so our listeners know, what is your recommendation for the best sober book at the moment? Well, do you know what? I've got I've got so many books, but um, Catherine Gray's on my podcast next week, Wednesday, and she's amazing. I love her. We had such a laugh on our podcast, and her new book, Sunshine Warm Sober, is brilliant. Um, and there's she's a bit of a science geek like myself, so there's lots of um, information around the disease theory. Okay, yeah, which great. Is really interesting, but there's lots of tips, and it's for people as well, who have stopped drinking for quite a while, and it's the next phase, um, which is really, really interesting as well. So that's my tip. Okay, brilliant. That's Sunshine Warm Sober by Catherine yeah. Gray. Yeah. I've got a, we yeah. always end our podcast on a little quote, and usually me and Lucy dithering around, <laughs> doing nothing, trying to work <laughs> out arguing, why we can't arguing. arguing. <laughs> but we've got a quote by Barack Obama, which I thought was relevant for this podcast. Um don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. I do that every day. Asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It shows you have the courage to admit when you don't know something and to learn something new. So, yeah, that's a great oh, one from Barack Obama. Yeah, it's a lovely one. Yeah, and it just shows as well, like for men, there are people out there like you, and especially that guy you're interviewing in their 20s, you know, that mm. they need representation, and that's what we're all trying to do is just – resonate with people and, and get your attention and say, look, there's no shame here. We've all done shitty, crazy things, haven't we? We've all mm. been mental. We've all showed our knickers to policemen. Lucy, have you showed well, your knickers no, to policemen? No, of course I haven't. No, I'm sorry. I, 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 was, I was off thinking about the young guy that Dave's going to podcast. <laughs> Do you think we could get him on our podcast? Because yeah, I don't, I don't nice mind having a nice young man oh, on young our man. podcast. <laughs> oh, young man. Oh, at your age. <laughs> I will send you the details because he uh, needs to be known about his Yeah, and Thank you, Dave, because that's what we're doing. We're just doing this to share the information. So for me, because I haven't spoken to you or had communication with you before because I've been off doing my my own business and this is just something I do on, on the side, just a podcast with Vic. It's been just such a pleasure to chat to you. You're just brilliant. So thank you oh, for everything that you're you. doing. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Can, I, can I just finish off with... An important message I'd like to add is yep. you're never, ever too old to change your life, right? And I was drinking for over 40 years, um, and by stopping drinking has changed everything for me. And it's easy to think, oh, I've been doing it for 40 years, there's no point changing, but there is absolutely 100%. doesn't matter how old you are, you can change your life. That is a brilliant message to end with. We're going to add all Dave's links into the show notes, but you can follow him at Sober Dave on Instagram. And his uh, website is Dave David Wilson. Is that right? No. 
Go on, stop it's, telling me. It's www.davidwilsoncoaching.com. You can tell how old you are. You're not meant to say the <laughs> www thing anymore. Did you not know that? No, no. <laughs> you just gave away your age. Oh, I'm going down the allotment now. Come on, this one. <laughs> Check on the potatoes. <laughs> Don't Don't look at the cabbages, love. <laughs> Don't pick your carrots. (laughs) Cheers, Dave. Cheers, Dave. Bye. Bye, mate. Thank you for listening to the Sober Awkward podcast. If alcohol is affecting your life in a negative way, if you're struggling to moderate or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for help. Contact your local doctor, a therapist, or connect with your local AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yes, go onto Facebook and just search Drunk Mummy, Sober Mummy, the group. Lucy and I both agree that even though this journey can be awkward, it's definitely worth it. And if we can do it, you can too. For more support on sobriety, head to Vic's website, drunkmummysobermummy.com. And Lucy runs an online space to support and inspire single mums, Find out more at beanstockmums.com.au. Finally, if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, review and share it with your mates. Don't make it sound like they have to, though. No, they do have to. I'm not doing all this for nothing, Lucy. No.